Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world, with the MD, Dr. DJ Verrett. Greetings and thank you for joining us for another edition of Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world. I'm Dr. DJ Verrett, and today we're going to be speaking with Katie Hines of the Brain Health Center at the University of Texas at Dallas about things we can do to improve our brain health. We'll talk to Katie right after this. Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world. Today, I'm talking with Chris Hansen of Alliance Bank. And Chris, with mortgage interest rates so good, what should we talk about in refinancing? Yeah, DJ, thank you so much for having us. Given the historically low interest rate environment we're in today, it's certainly a great time for a homeowner, a business owner, a commercial real estate owner to revisit uh, their current interest rate structure on any transactions uh, they may have with their bank or mortgage company. Uh, We can assist on both sides of that, residential and commercial. Uh, We approach uh, all of our lending on a relationship basis, uh, so we get to know our customers. We are definitely a long-term vision type of company. Uh, We've been 95 years in Texas, Texas only bank, and pleased to serve this Collin County market from my office, as well as contiguous counties. And if physicians are interested in contacting you, what's the best way to get in touch? Office email address, chansen, C-H-A-N-S-E-N, at alliancebank.com. And for more information about Alliance Bank, check them out on the web at alliancebank.com. Welcome back to Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world. I'm Dr. DJ Verrett, and today we have the pleasure of being joined by Katie Hines, speech pathologist and clinician at the Center for Brain Health at the University of Texas at Dallas, to talk to us about how to keep our brains in tip-top shape. Katie, thanks for joining us. Of course. Thank you so much, Dr. Verrett, for having me. So I'm sure that you come across a lot of medical professionals, and obviously we tend to be a group of pretty high achievers. Um, that that probably tell you, you know what, I, I don't need any of this nonsense. My brain's doing quite well. Uh, but why should folks like doctors and nurses and, and really high achieving people actually be concerned about brain health? Yeah, I mean, this is this is definitely something that we hear a lot and what we um, we get questioned about this a lot. And, um, you know, I think it's very common as a society for us not to really worry or think about our brain until something is wrong. And what separates what we do from from maybe things people have heard of before is that we're all about performance. And I have experienced this with working with a lot of different high-performing groups that everyone wants to enhance their performance, especially those in in high-achieving groups and people who've always been very um, keen on advancing their performance in some way. Um, and then there's kind of a couple of reasons why we encourage people to really take ownership of their brain health and performance and, and look for ways to improve. One is that research shows that we're, we're outliving our peak brain performance by about 30 years. Um, and research also shows that we can continue to leverage neuro, neuroplasticity for improved brain performance, even as we age. Um, but the key is that we have to adopt more brain healthy habits and reduce unhealthy brain habits. Um, because your brain really changes on a daily basis based on how you use it. Um, So the importance is to really continue to push it forward and moving in the right direction, um, specifically with the brain's frontal networks. That's something that we focus on 
in our training is really how to enhance and improve and, and strengthen the brain's frontal networks. Um, but then another reason really is to proactively build stress resilience. That's something that I think a lot of high achieving groups struggle with is just being under a lot of stress, a lot of pressure. Um, we know that there are both environmental and psychological stressors that we don't have as much control over. However, something that we talk about quite a bit is cognitive stress. And cognitive stress is something that we all experience, some more than others. Um, but it is a type of stress that be, can be often self-induced by just our daily brain habits. Um, and so what we strive to do is really give some practical tools to help minimize cognitive stress. Um, you know, in a lot of these high stress groups that, that we've been kind of talking about, it could be like we worked with military groups, with first responders, with frontline workers, um, corporate executives, and everyone at least can, can agree that, that they're in stressful situations and that they're, you know, asked to make decisions in stressful environments. So any way that can reduce that stress can, can be very appealing to people and just kind of, yeah, to, to advance their performance in some way typically does um, relate well to these high-performing groups. You use the term neuroplasticity, and I, I'd like you to, just for some of our listeners who may not be um, may not be knowledgeable on it, can you kind of describe what neuroplasticity is and how it changes over time? Yeah, sure. So, so neuroplasticity is really your, your brain's ability to change um, and to, you know, regenerate, um, to improve, to build new connections, to um, regenerate ones that might have been lost or might be um, damaged. And in order to, you know, leverage that. And, and yeah, it's something that I think honestly is kind of a misnomer that people tend to think that our, our ability to leverage neuroplasticity is better when we're younger and that we naturally, our brains are naturally a little more plastic when we're younger. But what we encourage people all the time in our trainings and in our programs is that you have the ability to leverage that neuroplasticity and to continue to improve the way that your brain's wiring and working even as you age. Um, oftentimes we might not be, you know, taking in the tools that, that help us leverage that neuroplasticity. But I think it's a really important message to know that, you know, even as you age, even when you're in kind of your middle ages to late stages of life, you can still continue to change your brain for the better. And that's the, the great kind of, I guess, concept. That's the great um, thing about neuroplasticity and how we can really leverage it to our benefit. We've seen in the physician profession, we've seen a focus on mental health and, and especially during this pandemic, there's a lot of stressors that have been put on doctors and, and first line frontline professionals. What are some of the things people can do just to build up their baseline brain health to be able to better deal with the stressors that come along? Yeah. So this is my favorite thing to talk about. It's like, you know, we, we talk a lot about the science of brain health and why you should care, but I love just giving people tips and tools that are practical that they can use in their daily routines. And I think something else to, to make note of is that the tips and tools that we give are not really meant to be additional to what you're already doing. They're really designed to be woven into your daily routine and what you're already doing. Um, so, and yes, they do take practice, but I, I think it's really helpful to know, especially when you're busy and when you're in a high stress environment, that they're not meant to be additional. They're meant to increase your awareness and just kind of improve some of the habits that you already have. 
Um, so I have a, a couple to share today. Uh, the first one is really all about calibrating your cognitive energy. So recognizing that every task that you do during your day takes some amount of cognitive energy. Some tasks take more than others. Um, and it's, an imp it's important to recognize that we don't have an endless amount of cognitive energy during the day. I think sometimes we just become passive in the way that we approach our day and we expect our brains to just kind of stay on and ready at all times. Um, but we need to really be strategic about how we dedicate the cognitive energy that we have. Um, maybe like whenever you're considering your daily to-do list, identify two tasks each day that require the greatest brain power, the ones that really require your higher order thinking. Um, once you have those tasks identified, be strategic about how you tackle them. So for instance, whenever you are, you know, you've recognized, okay, this is a task that's really going to require a lot of brain power, a lot of focus, set aside other, you know, be very proactive about distractions. How can you set up your environment in a way that's really going to help you focus on that sole task at hand instead of, you know, getting blasted by email, getting, you know, having your phone going off, having people pop in and ask you questions. How can you proactively set aside distractions so that you can dedicate your really your mental energy to that task at hand? Um, and then the other thing is really to to recognize, you know, maybe when, when are you at your best during the day? When is your brain's prime time? That's something that we encourage people to kind of be aware of um, in our trainings, because that hopefully if you have the time and the space to take control of your schedule in some way, um, you can set aside time for those higher, you know, challenging cognitive tasks during your prime time. It's typically a little bit easier for you to um, block out the distractions and to maintain your focus um, if you are doing it at a time of day that you feel like you're at your sharpest and you're at your best. And I think the other point to make is here, don't expect your brain to be able to focus for hours at a time. So um, try to just set aside 30 minutes, 30, 45 minutes max um, to really dedicate uninterrupted focused attention to that task. Typically what we end up finding is that you get the task done a lot more efficiently and you do a better job on that task if you break it up into smaller chunks where you can really focus your attention during the, that time instead of just sitting, you know, sitting for hours until you get the task done. It's a lot better to break it up into smaller chunks and really dedicate your focused attention at that uh, during those times. What you're, you know, what you're talking about there sounds a lot like athletic training to me. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of interesting that you bring that up because something that we will encourage people to do is interval training. Um, and I was, I was an athlete. I played soccer in college. I have always, you know, been pretty, I guess, dedicated to athletic performance as well. And interval training is something that we did all the time. And the reason why it's so important is because it really builds your endurance. Um, and this is kind of like interval training for the brain. So, you know, make sure that you're dedicating small chunks of time for focus and then, you know, maybe that's, yeah, like a high-performing task, something that really requires your, your cognitive focus and effort. And then maybe take a 15-minute break, 30-minute break, and go do something that's maybe less, less cognitive or um, that's more, you know, of a rote task, something that doesn't require as much cognitive effort. Or maybe just go take a break and then come back to the task at hand. So um, even if it's only 15 minutes, I think that's something that people people think that they need to maintain their focus for a certain period of time. And it, that's not necessarily the case. It's just pay attention to your brain and when it starts to kind of wander and when you get distracted, 
take a break or shift tasks and then come back to that task at hand when you feel like you can dedicate your focused attention to the task, even if it's for only 15 to 20 minutes at a time. So you talk about setting aside time and and focusing on the, the harder things first. Is there anything else that you'd suggest to improve brain health? Yeah, kind of the second tip or tool, um, it goes quite um, hand in hand with the first one. And it's really all about limiting your information overload. So this is a big problem that not only frontline workers, but a lot of other people face as well, but especially frontline workers. um, And it's only getting worse. This is something that uh, our attention is kind of always at a premium. We're always being pulled in different directions with by people, by our phones, by email. Uh, So gaining control of your own attention is really a powerful tool to leverage your brain health and performance. So how do we do this? It's really all about less is more. So how can you reduce your input? Um, One thing, and this is probably the most controversial thing that we say during our training that we get a lot of pushback on, is limiting your multitasking. Um, I think this is becoming less of a novel idea for people. Seems like this has become more widely known now, but you know, multitasking is toxic for the brain. It also can cause a lot of chronic stress, um, but it also negatively impacts your performance. So even if you know we talk about stress and someone's like, yeah, I get that, I get that, I'll eventually take care of that, but right now I just need to multitask. I think it's important to realize that it also negatively impacts your performance on the task that you're, that you're trying to do. Um, you know, if, especially I think with those two kind of high priority cognitive challenging tasks that we already talked about. So even if you do need to multitask or need to kind of switch back and forth really fast between tasks, because that's really what multitasking is multitasking and focusing on two tasks at one time is really not possible. Um, I think, especially if you, if you do recognize that sometimes that's required of you try to really focus on not multitasking during those two high kind of cognitive tasks. So things that require the higher order thinking. Um, Another thing is just to reduce the excess information. So, you know, when you're talking about information overload, I think our phones are a giant culprit of this, whether it be social media, news, email, the notifications that are popping up on your phone. Oftentimes I know I'll catch myself picking up my phone and I didn't even think about it. Like I, there was no cognitive decision to pick up my phone. It was just a habit. And then next thing I know, I've been on it for 30 minutes. So um, we kind of have, have wired our brains for distraction and information intake. It, a lot of times people will tell us, well, that's just my brain telling me, like, I can't get that thought out of my mind that I need to multitask or that I need to pick up my phone. But that's because we've wired our brains to crave that. It's not because that's what our brains need or want even necessarily. Uh, it's really because we've wired our brains for distraction. So I think a big part of that is just being aware. So be aware, recognize when you just reach for that phone or news or, you know, email, whenever you look at your email and just challenge yourself to stop the urge. Just say, you know what? I really, you know, need to need to pause here. I don't need to flood my brain with more information right now. Um, So I'm going to leave my phone down or I'm going to step away from my computer um, for a little bit and not check my email. And then I'll come back to it when it's more of a, a decision or necessary for me to do so. Um, the other thing that kind of can help minimize that information overload is just dedicating time to taking what we call brain breaks. And we, we recommend five minute breaks, five times a day. Um, a lot of people will think that we mean that you should go sit in a dark room and not talk for five minutes. Um, 
it's not really that. And it's, it's a little different too than mindfulness and meditation. And we, we fully support mindfulness and meditation and what it can do for the brain and minimizing stress. But our brain breaks are a little different than that. So we would actually encourage you to do both. If that's something that you, that you already are doing and enjoy. Um, but those, those brain breaks are really meant to be zero effort, not zero thought. So don't sit there and think about not thinking for five minutes. You're going to sit there and think about not thinking for five minutes. So instead just kind of intentionally disconnect and let your brain do its own thing. It's okay. If maybe during those five minutes, your brain consolidates things you just learned in a meeting or something that you just learned in a, in a webinar, or uh, maybe you start thinking about the tasks you need to do when you end your brain break. And that's okay. That's still giving your brain uh, the time that it needs to really um, disconnect and, and consolidate information and just kind of recharge um, during the day. And then the third and kind of final push or charge I would give for a tip or tool to improve your brain health and performance is to seek ways to shift your perspective. Um, being stuck in your own opinion or your own perspective can really cause some stress and toxicity in the brain. Um, I, I think especially right now, this seems to be more and more important and for some reason harder for people to do than I feel like ever or that I've ever experienced. Um, so maybe it's, you know, with the news, with patients that you're seeing, with your kids or your family, um, I think that it does require an intentional shift sometimes. So how can you make intentional shifts to see and appreciate other perspectives? Um, a, a misnomer to this as well, like that people think that when we say that, we mean that we want you to change your opinion. And that's not at all what we're saying. It does not have to change your opinion. Um, even the act of intentionally understanding where someone else is coming from, um, being compassionate about their perspective, even if it's totally different than yours, uh, really gives the frontal networks in the brain a workout. And that's something that's going to strengthen them and reduce your stress, but also just reduce that emotional reaction. I think whenever we get so stuck in our own opinion and we hear something that's different than our opinion or our own perspective, that it, it really kind of fires up that emotional part of our brain. And then it prevents us from really utilizing the frontal networks of the brain, which is what we really want to be utilizing when we're having in-depth conversations and when we're making decisions. So um, being in that kind of kind of status quo, um, you know, very stuck in your own ways opinion uh, can be very stressful and can can really hinder your brain's ability to make good decisions and have um, yeah, and have deep, important conversations. And I, I think it's probably also beneficial to the just the stress level and your autonomic responses if you if you are able to not expand your horizons in in a way and not get so worked up when you hear ideas that you may not agree with. Exactly. Yeah. Kind of being able to downregulate that initial maybe emotional re response because not to say that's never going to happen, but if you're able to recognize it and downregulate it. Um, it definitely can reduce, reduce those kind of, you know, um, responses by the body and, uh, and can downregulate the stress. Now, if I'm training for a marathon or a soccer game, there are objective measures I can use to know if I'm getting better, but what measures can I do to determine if my brain health is getting better? Yeah. So that's a lot of people want to know that. So even if, you know, they, come to us for a training or a program. They're like, well, how will I know if, if things are getting better? How will I know if when I incorporate these 
these tips if my brain's really changing for the better. Um, we do have a, a pretty comprehensive assessment tool. It's called the Brain Health Index. Uh, it's comprised of a bunch of individual measures that relate to things like cognition, social interaction, well-being, and daily life. So just how you're being able to perform your daily life functions. Um, a key difference between it and other assessment tools that you might have experienced in the past or you might have heard of in the past is that we really don't use it in a diagnostic way. Um, it's, it's really meant to be a baseline. Um, it's based on really three decades of research and development. And the focus of it is really creating a brain health baseline that can measure your performance over time. Um, so it's really meant to be or to demonstrate the brain's upward potential. Uh, so people who come and they, they do the index, uh, they'll complete the index and they'll be provided then a feedback session with a clinician. And in the feedback session, yes, we go through their scores and kind of what they mean and what we're looking at. But I would say even more valuable than that is it provides really that stepping stone to empower and motivate the participant to change their brain health traje trajectory. So I think even just telling people that they have control of their brain health and what they do and the tips that they take in, the tools, the strategies that they use every day changes that trajectory and changes the way that their brain functions and performs tends to be extremely um, empowering and exciting. And then um, what we hope they do is, is really then do our, our training programs and um, take in some of our cognitive strategies and start to apply those to then see, okay, I have my brain health baseline. I did my index. How is that going to change the next time that I do it? Um, so that's something that I think, you know, is very empowering. And it's something that we don't really, again, we don't relate it back to a diagnosis or um, we don't tell people, oh, your memory's not very good. Uh, people will tell us that about themselves a lot. Um, but instead, we, we really focus on how to improve in all of the areas that we're measuring, not just ones that they think they're weak in or um, that they really want tips specifically for. I know if I'm doing some kind of an exercise program, having a friend do it with me keeps me more focused on doing what I said I would do. Is there a program in brain health to keep people on track? Yeah, so we actually just, um, at the beginning of COVID, um, ironically, we just launched a longitudinal research study called the Brain Health Project. Um, and really, it's a collaboration of about 30 world-renowned researchers um, from, you know, very respectable institutions and all coming together to say, you know, okay, we know a lot about heart health. We know a lot about how to, you know, how exercise can advance our our, you know, conditioning, our body's conditioning and, and our health, but we don't really know that about the brain. And it's funny uh, to hear you say um, that you grab a friend or, you know, you have someone keeping you accountable because we, we launched this and I have quite a few participants who have their spouse joining with them that are also in the project, has their sister in the project as well. And they call each other to talk about how they're doing with it. Um, so that's an interesting concept, but yeah, I mean, our, our goal with the project is to really help people better define their brain health, measure brain health over time, and enhance or main, even maintain or regain brain health. Um, so that's another thing that we will talk to, especially people who are worried about, you know, early onset Alzheimer's or dementias. 
um, is that sometimes even just maintaining your health, your brain's health over time can be a win. So not only enhancing, we, we obviously hope that people are able to enhance their brain health through the, the project, but even just maintaining or regaining things that they feel like they aren't doing as well and as, as, as they once were. Um, our goal is to really recruit over 100,000 participants and track them for 10 years. So it's, it's going to be extremely comprehensive and it's going to be really a, a long-term project that with the purpose of seeing how people's brain health changes over time. And, and we know that some things that change for the better or worse won't be directly related to what they're doing in the project itself, but that's part of what we're going to learn. You know, they, we might have someone who experiences an injury during those 10 years or, you know, is diagnosed with a disease. And, and I think we'll be able to see, okay, what changed based on that. And that's not something that we've ever been able to see because most people don't have a brain health baseline. So people might have an injury or might be diagnosed with a condition, but they don't know exactly how their brain was performing before. So it's hard to know really what changed. Um, so in the project, there's, there's quite a bit that's included in it. Um, the first thing that is included that people will do initially is that, is that brain health index. So they'll be able to get their personal baseline before they really jump into the training and the, the tools, um, that we give them. And then they'll be given clinician feedback. So one of us clinicians will meet with them and talk through their index and hopefully empower and motivate them to jump into the training and improve their brain health. Then there's also cognitive training modules, um, modules related to stress solutions and even lifestyle factors. We have a really good one right now about sleep and how to just proactively improve your sleep um, um, in very just uh, specific ways. And then throughout the, their engagement in the project, they're, provide, they're provided clinician coaching. So that's something that seems to set this project aside from other brain performance training programs or, you know, um, ways that people are, are training people to improve their brain health is that we're, we're providing um, individuals or participants a coaching call every three months. And we're hoping, and what we've seen so far is that those coaching calls are, are so engaging and the participants are so excited to, to have that face-to-face -face interaction and, to ask their questions that they have about things they've already done to make sure that they're utilizing the strategies well, and that they're staying on track with what they're supposed to be doing. Um, and, and honestly, I like, I've already feel like we've gained pretty good relationships with our participants. So hopefully that will help motivate them to stay in the project and to continue to utilize the training and to look for new resources that we put on the project over time. Um, but the other thing is that it's really self-paced. So a lot of people will say, oh, I'm too busy for cognitive training. I'm too busy to go through a program. I'm too busy to go through a research study. But everything is self-paced. And the coaching sessions and the, the assessments, the Brain Health Index, are spread out um, so that you have some time to complete training modules and to put the strategies into practice before your next coaching session. So the coaching sessions happen about every three months. And the assessment, the Brain Health Index, we give people an opportunity to retake that about every six months. Um, so it's a pretty comprehensive project. It's a pretty comprehensive offering. Um, and it's something that, you know, again, it's not meant to be additive. So the strategies are really designed, just like you probably saw with the three that I gave, they're really all about creating better awareness around how you're using your brain and then taking some very just small steps to improve the way that you're utilizing your brain during each day. 
sounds like a an ambitious project and a great <laughs> opportunity to have your own lifestyle coach to keep your brain healthy. Uh, where can people find out more about that project? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question. So if if you are interested in being a part of it, or even just for maybe you know someone who'd be really interested in joining, uh, you can go to thebrainhealthproject.org. And there's a, a spot for you to sign up for updates. And that's kind of how you get in our on our email list. And then we give you updates on when you can enroll in the project. We're talking with Katie Hines, a clinician at the Center for Brain Health at the University of Texas at Dallas about brain health. We'll take a quick break and we'll ask Katie her top three when we come back. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world. I'm Dr. DJ Verrett, and today we've been having a fascinating discussion with Katie Hines, a clinician at the Center for Brain Health at the Uni University of Texas at Dallas about brain health. And as we do with most of our interviewees, we're going to ask Katie a top three. And Katie, the top three I'm going to throw your way are what are three things you would tell doctors about brain health and keeping their brains healthy? Yeah, so I know we've talked about these more in depth, but the first one, I'll try to simplify them. The first one is to calibrate your cognitive energy. So again, recognizing that everything you do during, do during the day takes some amount of cognitive energy, some more than others. So try to find two tasks every day that you know are going to push you forward. They're going to advance you closer to your goals that require that higher order thinking and set aside focused attention um, to really dedicate to those two tasks. The second one is limiting your information overload. A lot easier said than done. Um, but there are small steps you can make to even just decrease your information overload by 5-10%. And those things can be limiting your multitasking, um, taking brain breaks, so being able to disconnect for five minutes five times a day, um, and really just, you know, recognize when are you just picking up your phone, just checking your email with, without mindfully thinking about it and stop doing those habits and slowly create the habit of being more aware of the information that you're taking in and reducing the information that's in excess or even negative um, during your day. And then the third one is to seek ways to shift your perspective. So again, people don't realize oftentimes that being really kind of set in their ways and in their own opinion and their one perspective, and when they find it hard to break free of that, that that can be really stressful on the brain. And our frontal networks of the brain really crave um, our ability to see and appreciate other perspectives, to have you know kindness and compassion towards those who might not view something the same way that we do. So how can you be proactive about that with your family, at work, with your friends, um, so that we can all kind of build a healthier brain and, and utilize those networks that really are going to help our performance and, and push us forward every day. In our discussion, it, it really seems to me, and it's, it's, basic, it's a basic idea, but the brain responds like most other organs of the body. 
if if you eat junk food all day, you're going to gain weight. If you don't exercise, you may develop high blood pressure. If you don't control the high blood pressure, your heart won't function like it's supposed to. And similarly with the brain, if you don't set it up in a positive environment, it's not going to function to its maximum potential. Yeah, that's exactly right. And something I probably didn't hit on as much um, in this, but yeah, I mean, we talk, I've talked about the frontal networks quite a bit here, but all of these uh, tips are really designed to utilize your frontal networks, you know, being, having focused attention, being strategic with the way that you're directing your attention, um, having those two tasks that really challenge your brain at a high level, shifting your perspective, all of those things require your frontal networks. And the more you require of your frontal networks and the more you require them to work and you challenge them, then they're going to strengthen just like the muscles in your body. To your point, if you're, if you're going to the gym and you're working out specific muscles, those muscles are going to get strengthened. So if you're not doing these things that require your frontal networks that call upon them, then your frontal networks are naturally, naturally going to weaken instead of strengthen. So it's definitely something that it's important to value, um, how you use those frontal networks and to challenge yourself to do it every single day. And I'm assuming if, if it's strong at baseline, then it will be, they'll be able to better weather stressors as they come along. Definitely. It's just going back to the whole concept of resilience. The, the, the stronger they are to begin with, even when you are in stressful situations and maybe you do need to multitask or you are required to call upon your brain in a lot of even unhealthy ways, your brain can then be more resilient and recover from those stressful moments better because it started with that at that higher baseline and it was healthier to begin with. Katie, thanks for joining us. That's some great information and hopefully some concrete ideas for folks to implement to improve brain health. Thanks again. Of course. Thank you so much, Dr. Verrett. Thanks for having me. We've been talking with Katie Hines, speech language pathologist and clinician at the Center for Brain Health at the University of Texas at Dallas about brain health. You're listening to Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world. Until next week, make it an awesome week. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world with Dr. DJ Verrett. If you have a question or an idea for a show, send us an email at questions at askmemdpodcast.com.